Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Colorado Rugby. Uh, I'm Henry Chisholm and we have a special guest today. Ben Girding is here to talk about um, everything that's going on with Buffs basketball. Uh, we're going to start with the uh, win over Utah a couple of days ago and then uh, we'll get into the game against Cal, right? It's Cal on Thursday and then Stanford on Saturday, right, Ben? Oh, yep. There we go. That was a big thumbs up. Um, first, though, <laughs> a little bit more about Colorado rugby. Uh, as you all may know, Infinity Park right here in Glendale, Colorado, is known as Rugby Town USA. In fact, the facility was recently designated the Rugby Town National Training Center, which is home of the USA Eagles men's and women's rugby 15s teams. The training center is experimenting with a new concept. They're training crossover athletes to be rugby players. Guys like... Gellin Robinson, uh, who played in the AAF and the XFL, son of Glenn, Big Dog Robinson. Uh, you've got Gerald McDowell, the former defensive lineman at Ole, Ole Miss and the Calgary Stampeders of the CFL. Um, Sean Clark, who worked out with the Colts in 2020. Um, and a whole bunch of other guys with college football experience or a little bit of professional football experience to see if they can turn one of them into the next it factor for American rugby. All that's happening just down the road, basically in Cherry Creek down in Glendale. Um, and you can be a part of it too. Uh, Colton Strickler is covering everything that's happening down there uh, with content on the DMVR website and also on the weekly DMVR Rugby podcast. Uh, subscribe to that. Um, check it out because it's a great time to learn rugby. He's doing a bunch of one-on-one rugby pods, but he's also doing exclusive interviews with athletes and coaches, uh, some of the biggest names in American rugby. So follow along with Colton um, and see if the United States is going to get very good at rugby, which would be a cool thing. All right. Um, ben, Let's just dig right in here because there was a really big piece of news yesterday, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. So the Buffs fired Tyson Summers and are now looking for a defensive coordinator. Was that the right call? Yeah, you know, that's the million-dollar question. And honestly, you know, that's a question I don't think anyone is truthfully going to know until probably two years down the road. My initial reaction was it, it was very mixed emotions, you know. Tyson Summers, he's an electric guy. He's fiery. He's passionate. Love that in a coach. Um, and, and clearly, the players really liked like playing for him. So that is is one side of that coin. Is you know these players now have to go over more coaching turnover, get used to potentially a new scheme, and and that's going to be tough. 
But at the same time, too, the other side of that coin is, you know, Carl Durrell last year, he did not get a chance to to really build his full staff, perhaps the way he might have wanted to, just because of how late he came in that cycle. So I think there's something to him maybe sticking with Summers because it was the best of what was available. Um, I do think, and, and you touched on this yesterday, but the timing of this I do think is significant. Now, it is all speculation right now, but I, I, I think this is mirrors similar to the Broncos last season firing their offensive coordinator during a playoff game because someone new became available that they liked more. So whether that was from Alabama or Ohio State, whether that was from an NFL guy from Darrell's other roots, you know, that stuff is, is still to come. So my initial reaction is so overwhelmingly medium, which is tough content because I'm not going to be one way or the other. But, you know, I, I, I think I want to see who the next guy is. I want to see what the players think of the next guy. I'm curious about what scheme he's going to be introducing as well. So there's a lot of questions. And with that being said, as of right now, I think with more time to sit on it, I would lean towards more questioning the decision just because we don't have a whole lot of questions answered. Whereas with Tyson Summers, you knew what this defense was going to be, especially with getting back the majority of your guys, you know, they're, they're not, they were not the best defense in the country, but they were good enough to get you by against some good teams. The biggest problem was, you know, was that defense that good because of Nate Lamb or Tyson Summers? You know, we don't know that because Nate Lamb went out, the defense fell apart, but also those were against two pretty good offenses. So, so much in the air. I'm interested to see who else they bring in because I will say, and this is unconfirmed, obviously, but in my gut, there is no way Carl Durrell and this staff made this decision because they still owe Tyson Summers $500,000. There's no way they would have made this decision if they didn't already have somebody in mind and they were not confident about getting that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see it. it it's just such a strange situation. Um, you know, especially with a young guy like Tyson Summers, who really did have the defense going and you touched on how it like fell off late. It's just so hard to make a defense look good when you lose your best player. Like it kind of just changes the entire equation and, and it kind of changes everything you've been doing all season. Um, I will say that it's going to be really disappointing if this defense does take a step back this year. Because, I mean, th that was something that you could just say essentially would not happen. You get all your players back, you run the same scheme with Tyson Summers, and you, again, have a top three defense in the Pac-12. Plus, you know what, maybe you expect a little bit of growth from some of those guys, and maybe some of the younger guys are ready to take some of those jobs, whatever happens, and the team gets just a little bit better because that is kind of what you'd expect when you don't lose anybody. Um, and, and turning down a top three defense, which I think is what you're doing. If you get rid of Tyson Summers based on what we've seen, I'm not sure that I would have done it, but again, Carl, he, like you said, didn't get a chance to build his own staff. Um, it's it just tough to see somebody who could excite me more than Tyson Summers did, because I do think that he was on the path to getting another head coaching job. You know, you, you look through his resume and, it's pretty clear. Like he's still on the upswing, you know, he's only 40. Um, you know, his, his first big job was as a GA with Georgia in 2005, um, position coach at Georgia Southern, then UAB, um, 
I think co-special teams coordinator at UAB there at the end, um, then defensive coordinator at UCF for a few years, defensive coordinator at Colorado State. Then he gets the head coaching job for two years at Georgia Southern, uh, year, year and a half because he things didn't go well that second year at all. Um, but then uh, he's a quality control coach at Georgia, and that's when Mel brings him over here. And you kind of see that as a 40-year-old, and, and it seems like the trajectory is still trending up. Um, and, and I know I enjoyed my interactions with him. It seems like the players really enjoyed him. Um, but at the same time, Carl has a bunch of connections. And those connections mean that he should be able to put together one of the best coaching staffs in the Pac-12. And if he's going to go out and get – I don't even know a name to throw out there that would make me feel like this was an upgrade then sure. Yeah, this is a good idea, but you kind of do just have to wait and see um, what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and one thing too, and this was brought up in our members discord yesterday. I can't remember who it was. I believe it was Peter Martin buckets uh, since 88. He mentioned, um, and again, I believe it was him mentioned that, you know, this shows at least one thing that, that Darrell's not afraid to make some tough decisions. And that I do think is is kind of one of those soft skills um, to take away from this. Now, granted, whether or not it was the right decision is still up in the air. I mean, we still don't even know the full circumstances of the firing. Uh, you know, it could have been for another reason. Maybe they just did not like each other. You know, maybe it wasn't about defensive performance. Maybe it was just, per, you know, and again, that's all speculation. But the fact of the matter is Darrell was not afraid to you know, make a tough call. And so when you see fans, you know, clamoring about the offensive production over the last couple of games and, and, you know, coach Chev, now I'm not out on coach Chev just yet, but that does show, you know, he's not afraid to make a tough move if need be. So he clearly is not going to settle for anything less than, you know, his absolute best. He said it after the Texas game. He said it again on McChesney and chain, that podcast, when he talked about the defensive starters returning, this is a guy who really wants to win. He's not afraid to do what he thinks needs to be done um, to reach that point. And at this point, he's really given me no reason to doubt that decision-making process. Now, a year into this new defense, it could look bad. It could look like a horrible decision. But, you know, you need to remember, too, depending on what the scheme is and whatnot, it took Tyson Summers and Mel Tucker a long time to get that defense figured out. And then even into this season, Tyson Summers on his own, you know, giving up what was over 40 to UCLA, you know, and, and obviously those big games against Utah and Texas without Nate Lamb. And so it's going to be a process. I don't think it's going to be a night and day improvement where you hire some NFL guy and automatically this is a, you know, a top two defense in the conference. But I think it's one of those things where it shows Darrell he's got power, the administrator, the, you know, the AD trusts him, the entire department trusts him. And, you know, you just got to kind of ride that wave until it doesn't get you anywhere else because Carl Durrell gave you your first bowl appearance since, you know, 2016 and before that 2005 now would have been great to win it, but it's a, it's a market improvement over where this program was and where it's heading. Yeah. And you know, when you were talking about what Carl had to say at the end of the season, it reminded me of when he said in that same interview that he still thinks that this program is two to three years away from where it needs to be. And I think that it's really easy to look at the Buffs defense next year and say, well, well, that's the peak because you're getting all these guys back. The young guys who performed well, like the, the secondary, no, you, you can't call it the best part of the defense, but 
if you were just to look at the stats, you would say that it was the best part of the defense, you know, best completion percentage allowed in the uh, pack 12. I think the, whatever advanced stat it is says like the, the sixth uh, most efficient pass defense in the country. And that's according to like the buffs notes that they put out every week. And, and you look at those numbers and say, well, what was really going well was the pass defense. And then you remember that they bottled up the run game for most of the year too. The point being like those young guys in the secondary who did play well, they're probably going to take that step forward and this should kind of be the peak. But if Carl really does believe that you're two, three years away from being the, you know, Pac-12 champion who can get a spot in the college football playoff, what is next year really worth? You know, if if that great defense is going to take you to, who knows, uh, an eight and four season, um, another, I guess that probably doesn't get you in the Alamo Bowl, but you know, another mid-level bowl. Maybe he says, you know what? It, it, we might need to eat our vitamins, eat our vegetables, whatever the saying is for <laughs> one year and uh, say, this isn't going to be what's best for this defense in 2021 because people are going to be learning new systems and learning new terminology and all that kind of stuff. But in the long run, this is the defense we want to run, especially with this young personnel. And when the time comes for us to really compete on a national level, we'll be really glad that this is the decision that we made. Yeah, you know, I, I think those advanced metrics, when you look at the, the secondary play, I mean, they're important. The statistics do tell a story. But I think the biggest problem is, and, and this is directly from that Carl Durrell post uh, press conference after the Alma Bowl, he said, uh, you know, it, it left, uh, I can't find the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, you know, this te- this game tells us much further, how much further they have to go than, than the wins beforehand. Like you said, two to three years out. And on top of that too, from that Darrell interview on McChesney Unchained, just uh, I believe it was last week, he said his response to the team after that Texas loss was this is the last time we'll look this poorly again as I'm being the head coach. You know, he, that Texas game, I think hurt him more than any of the other wins because that was a national stage against a top opponent. And it was a litmus test. And you got diced up by not one, not two, but three quarterbacks came in there and were incredibly effective against the secondary. Now, granted, you know, you were without Chris Miller, you were out without Nate Lamb, and you had some key injuries, but against your toughest passing opponent on the season, arguably, you really dropped the ball. So I, I think the, the pass defense looked very good against teams like San Diego State. You know, even against Utah, they had troubles with Britton Covey, but that was really a Ty Jordan game. So I do think that, you know, the statistics do tell one story, but that's not enough for Carl Durrell because that end of the season has left a bad taste in his mouth. He wanted changes. Um, and this is just kind of where he ended up. I'm not sure, again, where where it comes between the defense and the offense because if you're just looking at a production standpoint, who dropped off the most, you would think the offense would be clear-cut there. But maybe he wants the consistency as far as a scheme for Brendan Lewis moving forward. I don't know. There's so many so many you know ducks in the air. But he's dissatisfied. He's going to strive for perfection. And that is an important point that you brought out. The perfection does not just mean success next year. It's success in the long term. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what Carl was feeling after that game. Like like we heard him talk and all that kind of stuff, but like if if you could have like a very real conversation and he just let it all loose. What would he have said? Would he have said like, "Oh, that defense, like I'm not sure what they were thinking calling the plays that they called out." Or, or what what gripes 
does he really have about that game? Because obviously like somebody made a mistake somewhere and probably quite a few people made quite a few mistakes to get to the point that game got to. And, And to hear exactly how in his brain he would allocate the blame I don't know. I'm, I'm curious where it, it would fall. Maybe it is all Tyson Summers. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that a football coach has said, this hasn't looked, this didn't look good. And I need to prove a point. And we're basically cutting somebody's head off in the public square and saying, this is what's going to happen if we get beat like this on a football game. And, you know, there's, you can like that style. You cannot like that style. Um, to me personally, I think it kind of fits with Carl Durrell's vibe where it is very relaxed, but you go get the job done and they didn't, I don't know. I, I, I I'm curious to see how this will play out. You know, the rumor is it's Chris Wilson. Um, but this actually leaves an interesting hole on the buffs staff. Um, because if Chris Wilson were to be the defensive coordinator, well, then he'd continue coaching the defensive line. But Tyson Summers was your linebackers coach. And when you look through the rest of this defensive staff with, you know, uh, Brian Michalowski is the outside linebackers. You're not moving him to inside linebackers. You've got Brett Maxey and uh, Demetrius Martin coaching the safeties and cornerbacks. Well, neither of them have any experience like they're DBs. They aren't going to start coaching linebackers. So just because Tyson Summers made the shift last year to this year, going from um, the secondary to the linebackers doesn't mean anybody else can, because the way this staff is structured, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Chris Wilson would have a whole bunch of advice for Nate Landman, but he has 20 years experience as a defensive line coach. You'd be crazy to put him anywhere else. Um, so uh, there, there are some ways that this could go. And if, if um, Chris Wilson is the defensive coordinator, then you can bring in somebody who can just be a linebackers coach and it won't be that big of a hire probably. Um, and it could be a promotion from within, you know, Aziz Shitu, we, we see him on Insta or Twitter a lot. I don't know like what the feeling toward him is, whether it's time to give him a position coach job, but there are some names like that within the program. There are guys from the outside you could obviously bring in. What gets interesting to me though, is if you bring in a defensive coordinator from the outside, who isn't a linebackers coach. If, if it's a, an outside linebackers coach and you've already got one of those uh, or specifically a secondary coach, because you've already got two guys up there. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of ways this could play out. There's some puzzle pieces that need to fit together. Um, any last thoughts, Ben? You know, no. I mean, you you outlined it perfectly. The problem is, is it, it's so hard to try and generate a, a list of potential candidates because, like you said, everybody's pretty much a potential candidate at this point. You know, you've got internal candidates, but you also everybody that Carl pretty much ever worked with that is a you know below defensive coordinator, maybe in the NFL, anything like that. So I think the inside linebackers is an interesting point. I wonder if that hurt Tyson Summer's stock because without Nate Lamon in there, the inside of the defense was such a liability, especially against the run. I wonder if that hurt the stock as far as he didn't have anybody ready for this role. You know, he, he wasn't ready. There wasn't a contingency plan in place because all season long, you know, there've been injuries and the team kept talking about next man up mentality. Well, it's tough to replace your best player on the team, but at the same time, I think that it could have looked better. And again, I've never coached an inside linebacker before, so I'm not really sure. But 
it's hard to imagine it looking any worse than it did stopping the run. So there is that to be said, but at, at the same time, at this point, it, I think it's just time to kind of, you know, look forward and just get excited about this, this next coach, you know, and obviously that's not how being a sports fan is. They're going to go out in the first game and be in a shootout with God knows, <laughs> I don't know who they're up for on the schedule. And immediately Twitter's going to be like, Oh, well, Tyson Summers wouldn't have done this, you know, anything like that. But fact of the matter is got to stay the course and trust Colorado right now. Yeah. I totally forgot that the buffs kind of have this schedule from hell. You are totally right. You know, I, I think whoever the defensive coordinator is, this is not going to go well. Um, no, I mean, like, like long-term it'll go well and he's going to be a good coach. First few games. I think it could get ugly. First game, Northern Colorado. You know what? It should look good. And if it doesn't though, that, that's a big problem. You know, I mean, definition of a trap game for a new defensive coordinator from there though. Week two, Texas A&M coming into town. Week three, you've got the Minnesota Golden Gophers coming in. And then you start Pac-12 play um, with Jaden Daniels and Arizona State. That's uh, I mean, if I were defensive coordinator, I would be pretty pissed off to know that this is what I'm running into. But at the same time, there's plenty of talent. And if you go out there, those are those are opportunities. I really hope everybody's going to be level-headed. Do not have high hopes. <laughs> we know they won't be. Yeah, we know they won't be. You know, Northern Colorado, that should be a game like San Diego State, where at the end of the day, it might not look pretty, but you just rely on your talent. Texas A&M, they're going to have a new quarterback. Maybe you can pick on them early. In Minnesota, they didn't look all that good in Big Ten play this year. So, who knows? You know, I, I, and yeah. people give me a lot, of, a lot of crap in our members' discord that I'm always just, unbelievably unrealistically positive i'm not i want to get that one thing clear i'm not sitting here projecting this team to be three and oh through non-conference play next season that is unbelievable but it could be it could work out for the best but i completely agree that is going to be a it's going to be tough especially getting arizona state at full power with their full off season keaton slovis returning for usc i mean these are some tough offenses at least and, and this is and this is one great thing. You do still have Arizona on the schedule. So you can rely on that. You can pretty much pack it in for a win against the Wildcats and, and kind of go from there. Yeah, especially without Grant Gannell. But this, I mean, this is the yeah. year you don't play Washington State and you don't play, let's see, what is the other one? I think Stanford. Those are the two teams that aren't on the schedule. You play the rest, right? Four plus five, that gives you nine, yeah. So um, that's what... We're looking at for next year. Um, good news is Kellen Mond did declare for the draft. Um, yeah. And uh, that means there's a new quarterback. Minnesota, PJ Fleck is always going to scare me. I guess Mohamed Ibrahim, the running back, he should be gone. It seems like it'd be crazy for him to go back for another year, but people do crazy things. And it seems like whenever they do, they seem to impact the Bucks buffs negatively. Um, let's leave it at that for the, defensive coordinator stuff as soon as there's like real news i'm chomping at the bit to have like something to work off of but it seems like things are being pretty played pretty close to the vest um outside of the potential for chris wilson to be the guy um who i i wouldn't mind seeing it i think he could do a really good job um all right next up want to give a quick shout out to breckenridge brewery 
Um, they do so many great things, including create the Juice Drop IPA. If you're somebody like me who doesn't drink a lot of IPAs because you don't really like IPAs at all, then the Juice Drop IPA is a great way to kind of like work your way in to the IPA world. Um, and also, I'd kind of say the same thing about the Hot Peak IPA, but mostly the Juice Drop. It's like a little bit fruity, as you could probably guess from the name, um, but just a really good beer and a beer that we've been having a lot of on the tailgate. Uh, and for me, as somebody who doesn't drink a lot of IPAs, waking up and drinking an IPA at 9.30 in the morning, that, that should show you that it's a pretty good beer. Um, Breckenridge has so many good beers. Uh, the Strawberry Sky, the Avalanche, the Vanilla Porter Jr., um, check them out, check them out at the DMVR bar. We're open, I think like just permanently now. And there's so many sports. It's like watch parties every night. I'm going to be over there for the Avs game tonight. Tomorrow there's a buffs game. I'm not sure if we'll be open for that actually, but everything else. Okay. Ben says no. Um, Ben, you can talk if you want. Um, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so many opportunities to drink beer there. You can uh, pick them up wherever you want using the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. Uh, you can go down to, uh, not Lakewood, um, Littleton, and you can uh, do some ice skating while you drink beer at their campus as well. So check that stuff out and you will not be disappointed. Also, want to give a shout out to our old friends over at Green Mountain Dental. They have a bunch of cool things going on right now. Um, and the most cool is that if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. It's a great deal. Make sure you take advantage of that because they do really good work too. We've had a bunch of DMVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years and make them their permanent family dentist. Um, and they're huge Colorado sports fans out there. That's a family-owned dentistry. So many reasons to support them. Um, so do it. Um, conveniently located just 15 minutes away from downtown Denver in Lakewood. Um, plus again, you get that free Sonicare toothbrush. If you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam at green mountain dental group. So schedule that today. All right. Uh, let's jump into some basketball stuff. Um, and starting with the Utah game, um, we didn't do a post game show for that one, but let's start this like we would start a post game show and just I'll ask, what are your biggest takeaways, Ben? Yeah, so the, the first thing that comes to mind really is uh, that was just an ugly offensive game. Um, you know, you ended up putting up 65 points, which you love. 18 uh, made free throws, 75% from the line. That's great. That's going to get it done. But you really caught some kind of some breaks in that second half, just as far as Utah. They couldn't hit a free throw to save their life. They also couldn't shoot a three-pointer. Um, both teams really couldn't shoot three-pointers. Colorado was just able to get one extra one in there. But the offense, it just, it has looked so up and down uh, ever since really Dallas Walton left. Now, before that, there were some inconsistencies. And you look at that game against Tennessee as kind of that gut check. But they also had games against Washington and Omaha where they didn't just look good. I mean, they were incredible. They were playing fantastic offensive ball. Now, that can be partially attributed to the level of competition, but at the same time, that's just about execution as well. You know, a, a, another team being bad is not going to help you get the ball in the hoop. So at least not help it go through. So, you know, there is that to be said. Ever since Dallas Walton left now, you're looking at about a five-game sample size. Arizona, they were fine until the second half. USC, they played great. UCLA, got ugly. Oregon, fantastic. And then now again against Utah, ugly. So 
they are struggling offensively as far as this rotation goes. I think they're, they're really having trouble with, with confidence, getting their shots to fall, but it opens the door for some guys, you know, and, and that leads into my second biggest takeaway real quick. I mean, Jabari Walker in just 16 minutes, he's able to tie the lead in points and in, uh, in second rebounds, getting his first career double-double in just 16 minutes on the floor. Now, he did pick up three fouls. So, so part of that is, is because of the foul trouble. But he needs to be a, a much bigger part of this team moving forward. I don't know how. I really don't know how, how you are able to manipulate the minutes. But I, I would love to see him play a little bit more, kind of maybe put him at the four, maybe put ba- or, uh, Jariah Horn at the three, kind of play around with some bigger lineups like that. Because you've just got to get your best players on the court. And right now, he is playing like one of your best players. Yep. And that was my biggest takeaway was that Jabari Walker, like he's arrived. He is, his time is now. He is a good Pac-12 basketball player. I mean, I'm not sure that he's all Pac-12 yet, but what he is is a guy who should be a starter for pretty much any team in the conference. Um, And I think that we're getting close to the point where that, should be said about the Buffaloes as well, especially in games where you don't see Dallas Walton, um, especially because like you've been playing dry horn off the bench. And it seems like that's a very conscious decision to, to bring dry horn off the bench because he has been what maybe your second best third best offensive player. And he provides things on the defensive end and the facilitation. There's just so much to like about his game that, you know, when you're playing him as much as they're playing him, but bring him off the bench, there's a reason they're doing that. It seems like if that's how you feel, Jabari Walker, he's worthy of consideration for the start in this game. Maybe they were worried about the foul trouble and didn't want to put him out there too early and get into issues that soon. But yeah, I, I really think that Jabari Walker just looks so good. Um, the other thing I'll bring up is kin how do we evaluate what he did because it was enough to get the win um he was passing the ball pretty well but he really could not score and he was only four of seven from the line yeah you know it's so tough you know where he's at because he still is clearly your best player you know but now this is another I don't want to call it scary, but it's a concerning pattern of not being able to convert your looks in some of your biggest games. You know, he was just, he was uh, four of 12 in the Arizona loss, three of eight in the loss against Tennessee, and then five for 10 against uh, UCLA. Not as bad, you know, but you're right. It was enough to get by, but this was absolutely unquivocally a game where Colorado's depth is the reason they won. You know, McKinley Wright was not the best player on the court in that game. You know, you could look at Jabari Walker, Deshaun Schwartz. He went 15 and 15. Um, Mm -hmm. That was tremendous, tremendously beneficial. Him being your leading shooter at 15 a game. I really don't mind it. Honestly, you just hope he can get in a little bit more of a room early, but I, I maybe you just chop chalk it up to a to a bad game, but you know only a two assist to turnover ratio in that game as well. That that's not great. You want that to be higher. The one thing that I will give McKinley Wright credit for is you know eight shots in a game is pretty low. You know that's his tied for his second lowest out point on the season. 
he knew that his shots weren't falling and he did not force them like another star player would. I look at a player like Remy Martin at Arizona State who every night for Remy Martin, he thinks is on and he's going to continue to take those shots, whether or not they're falling or not. McKinley Wright, I think, has that awareness to know whether it's his night or not. And he just, he wasn't able to convert the free throw line as much as you'd like. That needs to change. Um, he, he cannot be a 57% shooter moving forward because he should be getting to the line six, seven times a night. And yeah, he just needs to get back into his rhythm a little bit as far as hitting those floaters he was hitting earlier in the season, because those are the ones that really sparked his McKinley Wright takeovers. Yep. And he is still shooting above 50% for the season. Um, it's not like a panic situation by any means, but when you're talking about some of the best players in college basketball, a lot of it does come down to how often do you do it? Like how many off nights do you have? Nuggets fans know all about that with Jamal Murray, where he's been a superstar for two years, other than the fact that he's only a superstar once every four games. And it's just to figure out what percentage of the time are you that guy and what percentage are you not? And so far, Kin has done it enough. You do wish that there weren't so many off nights. I mean, it's been, what, three, four, maybe five yeah. max. But, yeah, yeah, so it's not bad. No, and you look at, like, a game against Washington, and, and we've talked about it, too. He only had five points in that game. He is just not going to do well against his own defense. So that's a game where I don't fault him at all because he only shot the ball six times. He had four rebounds and five assists. So he was doing his part to just be that kind of floor distributor. The problem with McKinley Wright is I do think he is the most valuable player in the Pac-12. I think his value to the Colorado Buffaloes is better than any other team within the conference. But he is not in the front of the player of the year conversation anymore. I think that goes to a guy like Oscar DeSilva, maybe even Chris Duarte. Um, and that's, that's a shame because I really do think McKinley Wright could have come away from this season with – Every single award imaginable. He could be the player of the year. He will be first conference and first uh, first team all defense. But that player of the year, that's coveted. To, to secure that is going to show NBA teams like, hey, I'm small, but it doesn't matter. I'm still the best player in a good, very good basketball conference. I think that allowed Peyton Pritchard, just that extra feather in the cap, gave him some extra confidence going into the NBA as well. So as far as McKinley Wright goes in that personal uh, – um, accolade he needs to he needs to pick it up he cannot have another night like this moving forward because the other thing is too he just needs to be your guy that goes and gets a bucket he needs to be the guy that finishes at the rim converts free throws when he's fouled and he can do it but just when you have a down night against utah it's going to cause some national pundits to question it because mckinley wright doesn't have the benefit of oscar de silva where he's already got all the physical tools and he just puts them together every night. McKinley Wright needs to prove he can play basketball, whereas bigger guys need to prove they can't. And we've talked about that before. It, it, it's a shame to see it. I will say this this looks like this weekend is going to be a McKinley Wright type of weekend. Just, just from what I can feel, Cal, without Matt Bradley, who's, ga who's a game-time decision, I don't think he's going to play. If, if Matt Bradley doesn't play, this should be a blowout. McKinley Wright goes out and drops 20, you know, six and six and breaks the program assist record. That's going to just shoot that stock right back up. So again, take it with a grain of salt. He just needs to bounce back at at least one of these games in a major way this weekend. 
And I do like that you brought up the assist record too, because that does play into the optics. You know, if, if somebody, if he had gotten the one more assist and he was sitting on four assists, needing his fifth for 15 minutes there at the end of the game, yep. that was brutal. But yeah, it, it would have been kind of a tough look for, you know, the Pac-12 to be sending out all of like their tweets and like there'll be Instagram posts everywhere and they'll all everybody will have their graphics saying like, Ken breaks the all-time assist record, but then it'll also say a stat line for the night and two of eight, one of four from three, a rebound, four assists, a couple turnovers, like not not the stat line you want to have broadcast out nope. there it would be a lot better to get that first assist and then just add like five or six more pick up your boards pick up the points and let this be like one of the kin nights and yeah I, I i think that that is very much on the table against cal um what else did you see in this game um to me i was a little bit concerned by the three-point shooting but it's college basketball road three pointers sometimes just don't fall. Is that all that happened? Yeah, I think it, the problem is, is they just don't have the sample size to back back up that it was just on the road, just because of what we saw against Oregon. 35% from three, you really want that to be higher as a team. They've shown that they can, they've hit at the high clip in, in games previously, but it's just, College basketball, the problem is, is when you're analyzing these teams, you really can't afford to look back farther than one week, maybe two, because the landscape dramatically changes pretty much every time a new AP poll drops, the whole power dynamic in every conference is different, you know, and, and you look at a, a conference like the Big Ten, it seems like each week they have a new best team. Some weeks it's Iowa, then Wisconsin makes a play. Last night, Michigan was beating Wisconsin at one point, 62 to 26 before they finally let off the gas pedal. They're undefeated. So, and that same plays in with the Pac-12, like we've talked about. There's four or five teams that really could pull away as number one. Obviously, UCLA is the favorite. But with that, you know, you need to just be evaluating this team with, with as much recency as possible. And the problem is our last two games that we've seen Colorado shooting, I believe it was 18, 19% against Oregon tonight or against Utah, 20%. That's got to change. Um, I, I think that the problem is, and this is kind of my half-baked theory, but just knowing what I know about basketball and watching the execution, Dallas Walton takes away another body in the post because Jariah Horn does not sit in the post like Dallas Walton does. And frankly, Jabari Walker really doesn't either. So you go from playing kind of a traditional three on the wing to really four with Evan Batty just working as spreading you out uh, down low. And so teams are committing a high amount of resources to shutting down the perimeter. And we've seen offensive possessions for the Buffs stall because they just continue to move the ball around the outside. So where that factors in without Dallas Walton, I think your spacing is off as far as what you were getting looks at earlier because, and that's not to say Dallas Walton is just your traditional center who plays in the post because obviously he's got a fantastic shot. He shoots well from three, but he just gives you that added dynamic to spread the ball out, give a little bit more spacing and open up some more shots. So whether or not that is the, the full reason, that's up for interpretation, but they do need to be hitting more shots Deshaun Schwartz in particular, man, I'm six of 15 from the floor. Again, I don't mind him taking that high volume, but one of five from three, he just needs to hit some more because when you look at the breakdown right now of scoring between the starters and the bench, 
it's not, you know, Maddox Daniels and Nick Clifford, those type of people that are killing you with your shot percentage. It really is, you know, some of your main score. So, and, and actually real quick to touch on that too. Keyshawn Bartholomew's injury. I haven't heard enough on it yet. Um, I don't see him listed on the Colorado injury report right now. So maybe it was just an ankle turn, but not having him in that second half, I think did kind of, or it, you know, it, it, it gave you a little bit less of a spark, but that's still not going to solve any of your shooting problems. The, the absence of Keyshawn also allowed for a couple more minutes for Neat Clifford too, um, who we haven't seen too much. It's kind of been intermittent that they've thrown him in there. Um, another tough shooting night. You know, it, it seems like to me when I watch Neek, I'm generally thinking like, oh yeah, yeah, like this, this looks good, but he just can't get to the end point where, where he can get a shot off and, and get a good look at the rim. He's, he's just, he just does not feel, you know, he just does not seem comfortable mm-hmm. and that's a problem. You know, he's only made trying to count up here. He's only made two shots on the season. Now that isn't a tremendously limited sample size and he was able to hit a three-pointer against Omaha in that blowout. But he just does not look comfortable. In this game, 0 for 4 from the floor, 0 for 2 from 3. And they just did not – it's nothing about his form. It's nothing about his mechanics. It's just when he shoots the ball, I, as a viewer, as an analyst, am just not expecting it to go in. Mm -hmm. And it's just because he hasn't earned that that ability to say he's going to make these shots – but also he just looks kind of out of it. And it's not necessarily, you know, he's undersized. He doesn't know. I just think he just is not ready for, for D1 college basketball. And you see the same thing with Tristan Da Silva. Um, Tristan Da Silva, he ended up with two rebounds, two points in that game. But he was one for two shooting because he missed a completely wide open layup that he rushed and then was just lucky to kind of get the rebound to pop, you know, bounce it back in. Those are two guys that are only seeing minutes because of injuries right now. And I I think that that's just kind of where they're at is we shouldn't be grading them necessarily too, too hard because if it weren't for these injuries, they would be having kind of more of a red shirt season. Yeah. And it's it's just so tough to watch. Like, like if Neek was just a little bit quicker or the handle was just a little bit tighter, but he just cannot get a shot for himself and Typically, nobody else can get a shot for him either. And and Tristan Da Silva, I, I think just the style of player that he is, it's it's easier to get him a shot. I mean, a stretch four. You know, the stretch four goes and yeah. sits on the three-point line, and sometimes he's going to come open if everything else is going well. He's got to knock him down. Uh, I, I, I just think that, like you said, it's good to get them in there and for us to see – what it looks like when they're in there, but it's also good for them to see what it looks like too. And to put six minutes on film and have something to go study and watch and say, this is what I should have done differently. Um, And hopefully they're taking advantage of this time. And who knows, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the two, by the time we get to tournament time is at least like a a sneaky bench option who might be able to produce something. Um, any more thoughts on, on this game before we move along to uh, this weekend? Yeah, you know, I, I think we pretty much hit on everything. And I wrote up a, a TakeWiz article post-game, too. So if you're interested in reading more about Utah, check it out at the dnvr.com. Mostly it's just, you know, you got away with one on the road. You stole a win on the road. And that is the most important thing. 
because I don't care if it's Utah. I don't care if it's Washington on the road. College basketball games in the other opponent's arena are so difficult to win just by nature. So being able to get that win is really important. For Colorado to be top four in the conference, they need to be flirting with that 500 on the road. So you were able to, to take another step in that direction. That's really important. Now, come back to Boulder against a, a team you should beat. Cal right now, they're 11th in the conference. They're 6-7, and seven, and they, sh- they may be without their best player. That should be a win, and we'll talk more about that, that later. And then Stanford on Saturday, again, that's going to be another litmus test. At least show you can compete, but you really would love to steal that one at home. Because at this point, you know, at the end of this road stretch, they could have picked up a total of, or at the end of this little stretch here, four wins, including Oregon, Utah, and then these two now at home against the uh, the Northern Cal schools. I mean, then you're looking at a team that's 11 and three. They're top four in the conference at that point. They should have been ranked already at this point in the AP poll with 11 net, 19 in Kempom. I mean, this team is a top 25 team in the country right now. If you're 11 and three and sitting in the top four of your conference, plus all those accolades, there's no really denying it at that point. So pivotal test for them. And, you know, like I said, we'll now dive into Cal, I guess. Yeah. The, I am really excited for this week. Cause it, cause like you said, it is a really big one. Um, but before we jump in there, uh, need to give a shout out to one more special friend of ours. And that is DraftKings. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. They do so many awesome things. Um, my favorite are the odds boosts. It seems like, I think during the playoffs, we've been getting a 50% live profit boost on every NFL game. That means that for one bet during every single game, you can get 50% more money. So if you're trying to make a bet that's, you know, you're, you're watching the game and you say, oh, I think that the Chiefs are going to win now. Well, instead of getting that at whatever odds, say it's like even odds where you bet 10 bucks and they give you 10 back. Instead, you're going to get 15 back for every single game. You get a live bet. It's just so many cool things like that that are going on. Um, and they're always going on. There are other odds boosts that they make themselves. Um, like I think that there was like a boost for this season that was Jerry Judy plus Cortland Sutton touchdowns is more than uh, the total number of Chiefs wins. That one didn't go well, but a lot of them do. There's so many awesome offers just like that. And there are some pretty cool ones right now, too, um, like that to celebrate this year's football playoffs, DraftKings is giving all new players the chance to bet on any of this weekend's professional football games at 100 to one odds. Um, It's going to be so much fun. Check out the odds boost. If you're a new user, make sure you take advantage of that. I would take the chiefs. I think the chiefs are going to be in pretty good shape Um, and take advantage of the 100 to one odds. Uh, So download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get 100 to one odds on any football game this weekend. That's code DNVR for new players to get a shot at $100 on any football action this weekend for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older Colorado only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. So this week um, at home, you get Cal, you get Stanford as it stands right now, Colorado sitting alone in fifth place in the PAC 12, you know, famously the top four teams get buys. I would guess that without Arizona, 
there's got to be a fifth team that gets a buy, right? Is that how, do we know for sure that must be how it works? We, we don't know for sure. That would be the logical step, which means it's probably going to go in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> um, so, you know, the short answer is we really don't know, but still top four is that goal. Um, but yeah, we'll probably won't find out until, you know, we, we arrive in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, but just to like run through these standings real quickly, Colorado's sitting there at three and two. They're alone at three and two. Right in front of them, you've got USC at three and one. Guess what? Colorado's already beaten USC this season. Right behind Colorado, there are two teams at 500. Arizona at three and three. Washington State at two and two. Just like looking at that landscape, knowing you're in fifth, how much better does five and two sound than three and two? Oh, I mean, exponentially better, you know, and, and, and when you look at some of those teams, you know, USC just took, God, was it UC Santa Barbara last night to overtime, barely won that one by five points, Arizona, you know, that's a team where it sucks that they beat you, but you don't really have to worry about them tournament time, you know, so that, that helps because they, they're really not in the running. And then Washington state, look, the Cougars started off hot. I was maybe a little harder on them in the beginning of the season than I should have been, but they're now two and two in Pac-12 play. Have not been able to pick up kind of that that signature win against some quality, more quality opponents. So they still don't necessarily scare me. So where we're at with that is, you know, you're in a good spot. That's the moral of the story. You're in a good spot, but it is still January. Colorado was in a tremendous spot this time last year. It's funny. Again, in our members discord, we're talking about seed projections and silver buff is, does anybody remember last season? And you know, it, it is a good, it is a good little reminder that, you know, it, all this is with a grain of salt, but yeah, you, you love where you're at still need to go out there and execute. And you have a great opportunity right now against Cal. I mean, they're four and six in their last 10 games. They're six and seven on the season. And this team, they, they are the epitome of they're able to beat up on bad opponents, you know, but they haven't been able to pick up a good win in the conference. They lost twice to Oregon State. They've lost to Arizona State. They've lost to UCLA. They've lost to Oregon. None of those games were particularly close. And then you lose to Washington State, which we just touched on as hit or miss. Their only conference win right now is against Washington, who Colorado obliterated. That and game my Montana was... Grizzlies took down as well. <laughs> I mean, Mon <laughs> Washington is so unbelievably bad this season. And it we could have an entire series on just the downfall of the Washington Huskies basketball program because it is, I don't want to say incredible, but it, it is, you know, noteworthy. So that that's a team against Cal right now, especially without Matt Bradley. I mean, you are really not not all that worried about Cal which of course then means it's going to be a close game, probably down under the wire because that's how college basketball works. But still, this is a game at home. You need to go out there and beat. And real quick too, while I'm on this tangent about Cal, it's not just they're, they're not playing good against good opponents, but 33% from three-point percentage. They're a worse three-pointing team than Colorado has been, which after the last two games might be surprising. Their free throw percentage, only 66%. They're not a great rebounding team. I, they turn the ball over 14 times a game. This is a mistake prone game. The line right now I'm looking at, I, I can't seem to find it, but I, I'm not sure what it is. I would take Colorado on whatever it is, because th this should be a game that they come out and win handedly. The Stanford game is going to be 
a, a wild one though. That's one yes. that I'm really excited for. Um, and as it stands, you know, let, let's say Colorado does beat Cal. Let's say Stanford is able to go into Utah and beat the Utes. You know, road games are always tough. That is the better basketball team though. And in that case, you're sitting there on Saturday with Stanford at five and one with Colorado at four and two. And really the, I mean, if, if Colorado wins, they'd have the tiebreaker because they would have just beaten them. And then they're in front of Stanford. Otherwise, Stanford's in front. So this is going to be a, a pretty big game in terms of what the standings look like on Saturday, but also down the road. I mean, this game could be the one that decides which one of these teams is in front of the other. Um, and, and that could be for that fourth spot, that fourth buy. Although I really do think that there's got to be five buys with Arizona out. Either that or you have 11 and you cut it down to one buy. Yeah, I, which I mean, one five buys doesn't sound great either. No, I, I, I don't know. And and like I said, I honestly don't think the Pac-12 knows either. I think they're hoping (laughs) that it's going to somehow work itself out on its own. Um, (laughs) Larry Scott might just be sitting in his office saying, ah, it'll somebody else will figure it out, you know. But yeah, Stanford that that is an intro game they the player your favorite right now in Oscar to Sopa, mm-hmm. averaging almost 20 points per game almost eight rebounds 64 percent from the floor I, he is just a beast you know and I do think you're feeling okay about your defensive matchups assuming Evan Batty can can stay out of foul trouble now everybody remembers the Oscar to Silva injury last season in Boulder um and you know, I can't exactly recall where when that occurred. I believe it was early in the second half. But either which way, you know, you beat Stanford at home, and, and that was without one of their best players. So they don't have uh, Tyrell Terry anymore. That helps. Uh, and they really – their play is interesting. They're shooting 47% from the floor, which is very impressive. They're shooting sub-30 from three. So this actually should be a pretty clear-cut game as far as how are you going to defend Stanford? This may be the game where we have Evan Batty, Jabari Walker, and Jariah Horn at the floor at the same time. You know, having, and maybe even Deshaun Schwartz at the two, you know, just you have to get creative against a good team. You have to show something that you have not shown all season because you haven't played a team like Stanford to this point. You've picked up some good wins, but you haven't played Stanford. And what they decide to do is still going to be noteworthy at this point. I still don't have an update on Dallas Walton's health. He's still considered day-to-day. If he plays tomorrow, I'd be surprised at this point because if he's still day-to-day, I want him back for Stanford over Cal, absolutely. So I'm not going to rush him back. But with that being said, if you are a Buffs fan, uh, you are really kneeling at the altar praying for Dallas Walton to be healthy on Saturday because you are going to need his rim protection more than any other game this season. Yeah, and I mean, Oscar Da Silva is really, really good. Zaire Williams is going to be, I mean, probably a top three pick in the draft this year, which is pretty crazy. Um, He hasn't been great at Stanford. He's obviously true freshman, six foot eight, 185. He's a forward. Um, He's certainly had his moments, but for the season, um, under 40% from the field, closer to 35%, really, um, over 10 shots per game. Um, he is the X factor because he's going to get volume. I mean, if you don't give that guy volume, you're not going to get another one of those guys. Um, he's putting up like decent numbers, uh, close to 12 points, um, close to three assists, close to six rebounds, um, over three turnovers. 
what's really interesting when you run through this box score though is you like look through the turnovers and it's like okay one in the last game good game before that seven okay seven (laughs) that's pretty wild and then two three six and so you have those big ones that seven by the way coming against washington i guess the freshman was stumped by the zone it'll be (laughs) it'll be interesting to see what he does uh, against colorado because he is coming up a couple of decent games he's five of ten of the field four and nine against washington He's going to be fun to watch at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. And his turnovers just flow into the turnovers of Stanford. They average 16 a game. Ugh. That's going to give you opportunities. You know, you've got to, the, the, the problem there is you've got to capitalize. And McKinley Wright in the last couple of games, he has not been as effective on those driving layups into the hoop. Now, that doesn't mean I want anyone else doing it but him. Especially because again, nobody was making those in the first half yeah, of that last game. Absolutely. So this is, again, one of those games where your margin for error is just so much less. You know, Utah, I think Utah gets a lot worse of a rap than they really are. I do think that's still a solid basketball program. Timmy Allen's but, good. No, Timmy Allen's great. You know, he's a good basketball player. He's going to be probably second team all conference, you know, depending on how the rest of the season shakes I mean, out. The crazy thing is, well, they, they're 10 first teamers. Oh, that's right. I forgot so the Pac-12 yeah, I mean, is weird. Yeah. He's, yeah, <laughs> so he's got to be first team. Everybody's a first yeah. teamer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, you know, the, against Stanford, you just need to capitalize on that. And, and the problem, though, is – they're, and, and just looking at their ratings, their offensive rating, 102, that's tied for 183rd in the country. Defensive rating of 91, tied for 45th. So you do have that kind of, uh, maybe call it a makeup, you know, where, where they are able to kind of make up for some of those mistakes. Now, if you flip it around and look at Colorado, their offensive rating is just shy of 111. That's tied for 55th. And their defensive rating is 90, uh, 92, which is tied for 53rd. Colorado, much more balanced, a much more efficient offense. So I do think they have the advantage in that regard. It all just does come down to Oscar De Silva. How can you limit his impact? Because this isn't a guy where you can hold him to five points. You know, this isn't a guy who you can go in there and expect to shut him down. He hasn't averaged less than, you know, his his worst output was 10 and 11 points. And in those games, he only shot the ball six times because there were blowouts against, um, well, actually, one of them was a blowout against uh, CSUB. The other one was actually in uh, in a loss to Oregon. So maybe that's actually the the recipe to success is trying to hold him to limited shot attempts. But I don't think that's reasonable. He's averaging a triple-double over his last three games. It is just a pickle. <laughs> you know, that that that's just the the PC way of saying how you how you try and attack him. The one benefit, though, I will say is he is not, you know, as great of a rim protector as some of these other, you know, bigs that Colorado has gone, gone up against. You look at guy like Evan Mobley at USC, you don't want to drive into the paint against him. Whereas Oscar Da Silva, he is not that same physical force as far as what he's going to give you blocking or, you know, blocking the, uh, the shot. So there is that to be said. That was a tangent that pretty much can be summarized in Oscar De Silva's good. This is going to be a good game. Yeah, it's going to be, he's kind of similar to Timmy Allen too, um, yep. in, in a couple of ways. And, and the one that really stands out to me is just like being a forward who takes that many shots and is kind of the presence for that team. It's what you keep going back to, you know, Timmy Allen finished this last game against Colorado nine of 16 from the field. 
that's kind of what you want to see if you're a Buffs fan, knowing that the best player is like, of course, going to take that many shots. You just can't let them take over the game. And on top of that, you know, I think Timmy may have led the game in turnovers only with like three or something. It wasn't a crazy number. Um, no, he only had two. Um, but then just like a couple of assists, a couple of rebounds, he missed some free throws. And that's how you get that. Like, sure, he shot above 50% from the field, but Utah needs him to do more than that. And I think that Stanford might be in that same boat where if you can just say, you know what, this guy's going to be beating us up in the post. He's going to jump out to the three-point line from time to time. We just need to withstand this. And if at some point he's shooting six of eight, just hope the misses come and, and yeah. hope that that falls back down close to that 50% mark. And, and maybe that we don't really do numbers of the week. Let's, let's, let's say uh number of the week this week for me, uh, you're going to need to keep um, let's see. Cause I think you can let him get, you have to keep him to 50% or less from the field, Oscar to Silva to, to be able to win that game. Um, do you have any cool numbers to throw out there before we wrap this up? <sighs> You know, I just think you need to win the rebounding margin by five. Mm. If you if you okay. do that, that shows you're you're not allowing offensive rebounds. You're maybe getting a couple extra looks because, you know, for me it'd be easy. You know, like honestly, shoot thirty five percent from three, and you're probably blowing a team out because yes. that you just don't have that. But quite frankly, I think that's unrealistic. But I love yours at holding De Silva under fifty percent win the rebounding margin. The other number, which I'm not going to set a cap at, but I do think this statistic is the most important as far as not, uh, especially this game against Stanford, but also this last five game stretch. What is the point in the paint margin? Because they have been killed without Dallas Walton there to protect the rim. They, they, you know, it, it should be a strength of this team. You've got tremendous players in your front court and you are consistently now losing the points in the paint battle and it comes into play, it rears its head more so in the losses. The one thing that I think Colorado did the best against Utah was their second half adjustment on their defensive intensity. They were losing the points in the paint margin in the first half by 28. Or no, 24, I'm sorry. 24 in that first half, I believe, against Utah. And they were down by 10. They come back, they tighten that margin. They still lost, but it was only they, – they narrowed that margin down to 12, and they only allowed eight points in the paint in the second half to Utah. They just need to play with a fire in, in, uh, down on the post. That's going to be a huge key is just kind of keeping that within six, eight points. All right. I like it. Um, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, we will have a post-game show tomorrow after the game, so stay tuned to that. It will be on the DMVR YouTube, on the DMVR Buffs Twitter account, um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll be around all week. There'll be a podcast and a whole bunch of written content as soon as there's a new defensive coordinator. Uh, so stay tuned to the DMVR.com as well. And uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Colorado swagging at the crowd doing
Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya, hit ya, hit ya, hit ya. Hey, hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle <laughs> And we ain't playing with ya, you can get it anytime yeah. It started at the scrimmage, we gon' win it at the last yeah. I call a bottle swag in the middle of the ring